Hey, welcome new listeners. Um, we're really happy you're here. And uh, hey, let's start the show. You're listening to There Auto Be a Law, the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by me, Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has worked to make cars safer. So there's a lot to get into. As we've talked about in the past, two weeks ago, as a matter of fact, this little organization called the California Public Utilities Commission had this vote and they said, you know what, San Francisco, screw you. You know, we we approve these uh, self-driving robo-taxis. Have a nice day. And of course, one of the key votes on the California Public Utility Commissions is a little man named John Reynolds. I'm just saying little from, I don't know, physical stature. I have no idea. But John Reynolds is a key vote on the California Public Utilities Commission. And we don't think he's gotten enough attention because John Reynolds used to be the managing counsel for a company called General Motors Cruise, GM Cruise. And what does GM Cruise make? Bad cars. And they make self-driving robo-taxis. But hey, somehow you get to go from GM Cruise to voting to approve GM Cruise shoddy product. Yes. So the California Public Utilities Commission has five members. So to have a quorum, you've got to have three votes. And that vote passed three to one. And Mr. Reynolds was frank, basically the deciding vote. You know, it didn't go forward with the whole movement to expand these vehicles access across San Francisco wouldn't have gone forward without the vote of the former cruise attorney. Um, if that is not a conflict of interest, someone please, you know, send me back to law school and teach me what one really is. It's surprising. So anyway, so they, uh, Jim Cruise and our buddy Kyle, they celebrate this big victory. And then the next day, five GM crews decide to stop working in California, in San Francisco's, uh, North Beach area. There was a, I guess a, a musical concert and these cars got overwhelmed and decided to give up the ghost because they couldn't make a cell phone call. <laughs> now they always claim that humans are terrible drivers, but I personally prefer it when humans aren't on their cell phones. And I've never seen a car just stop in the middle of the road because like, I don't have cell phone service anymore. But hey, that's a feature of the General Motors cruise experience. Cell phone's down, your car doesn't work, and it doesn't pull over to the side. It doesn't get safe. It just says, yeah, right here's good. Well, I've, I've got a little question here. Why is it that it's illegal for human beings to be on a cell phone when driving, but it's okay for computer-driven cars to be on a cell phone when driving? Does the, How does that make sense? Well, I think it's because the cell phone in the case of the cruise vehicle is the, the signal is actually required to operate the car and it's not serving as a distraction as it would in the case of a human operator. Well, it seems to have been distracted, doesn't it? <laughs> well, this is surprising to me because sometimes I have to uh, I'll use Google Maps and sometimes I go off location. So I no longer have cell phone service, but Google Maps still works. It's it hasn't been like, hey, we don't know where you are anymore. Good luck out here in the woods. Avoid the guy with the hockey mask on. It sounds like you're in one of those rural areas where we don't think we're going to see autonomous vehicles for many, many decades. It absolutely. I have had Google Maps direct me in a circle. Has that ever happened to you? 
That hasn't happened to me. I have seen where it directed people off of boat ramps, though. <laughs> well, hey, just keep going. Just, you know, follow the map. Uh, so then what? Two days later, after all of these cars decide to stop working in the middle of the road, what does a GM cruise do? It avoids uh, someone with a flag. It avoids little barricades and says, hey, I'm going to drive my car right into wet cement. <laughs> I, I mean... You know, that picture of that vehicle, the cruise and wet cement just kind of encapsulates a lot of the things I think about those cars. You know, they're they're just a big pain in the ass right now if they're in your city. There's no two ways about it. But Kyle says that humans are terrible drivers. If humans are terrible drivers, what does that make his crappy product? And then I think the um, San Francisco went back and filed a complaint or some sort of motion to have the CPUC reverse its decision. Um, that was another thing that happened, you know, in, in the, in the past week after they started seeing even more problems continue to flood through the gate on these cars. And when you, you know, the, when you see that and then the next thing that happened, which was probably one of the worst things that's happened so far in San Francisco, when the cruise vehicle apparently, you know, was unable to detect or see a fire truck um, rolling down the road with its lights and engine and uh, siren blaring and pulled out into an intersection that, you know, the cruise had the right of way on the green, but like, all of us human drivers know if there's a fire truck coming from the cross street, you do not proceed. You stop and you let it go. You hear it or you see it and you stop going. That didn't happen. The cruise vehicle just pulled out of the middle of the road and got smacked by the fire truck. Someone was injured. Um, and on the back of that happening, the California DMV then comes in and says, hey, cruise, you've got to cut your fleet in half. So... We're a little uncertain what's what what the outcome is, but it looks, from our perspective, like the Public Utilities Commission came out one week and said, "Sure, you can expand all over San Francisco." And then basically the next week, the California DMV comes in and says, "Whoa, now you're cutting now you're cutting your fleet in half." Um, so whether they're going to be able to use half of their current fleet and spread out across San Francisco or, you know, operate in new areas, we're just not sure yet how all of that's going to work out. But needless to say, you know, this massive push that the industry has been engaged in for the last few months to try to get federal and state and more laws passed to give them an advantage in pushing this product and making their investors happy is not going very well at the moment. And, um, you know, we continue to think that we need more evidence data. We need to see them demonstrate that these vehicles are going to be something besides, you know, a emergency vehicle striking traffic bollocksing, and you know all these other things wet cement destroying uh machines they they they're not really adding anything positive right now for residents of the city and they're bringing a whole lot of negatives i think it's important to note that a reasonable test program would take known circumstances of failures for the vehicles and replicate them on a test track and then run the vehicles through and uh, improve the software until those uh you know until the vehicles are able to get through that you know we, 
this is just one more critical situation to add to the list, or actually several more to add to the list. The whole distraction of, by the cell phone, the uh, blocking of the roads, the get being hit by a fire truck at night with all the lights flashing. There's no reason why this can't be put on a test track, and this should be. And it's puzzling to me why the authorities are giving them a buy and just saying, well, you know, in the future, everything will be better. So we'll let them slaughter people now. It makes no sense to me. Well, well Fred, I think you're missing it is the test track is San Francisco. And the citizens uh, of San Francisco have disagreed with this, but, you know, no longer democracy. But back to I this. Learned some, <laughs> I learn something every day. <laughs> Thank you, Anthony. Sure. So back to this uh, incident with the fire truck. Greg Dietrich, G. Cruz's general manager in San Francisco and possible future member of the California Public Utilities Commission. He defended the driverless car and said it almost immediately identified the fire truck. <laughs> it, it, hey, our car almost immediately would have worked or would have reacted like a 16 year old behind the wheel, but it didn't like and the it's amazing how they're like we're spinning this is a positive it almost would have worked on top of that waymo comes out and they're like yeah this wouldn't have happened to us because uh we have external microphones and we could hear the sirens too so like yo bro bro our, our stuff wouldn't have worked because waymo's never had a problem with a fire truck unless you go back to what was it january was it was it the waymo that the fire department had a smash or was it a cruise again it was a cruise ah well all right then you know I just watched Barbie. It was it was the Barbie car self-driving? I, I can't remember. But she didn't seem to be paying much attention to the wheel while she was in Barbie land. Oh, no. Welcome to explaining movie and TV driving to Fred Perkins. <laughs> well, I thought it might have been product placement by GM Cruise, but I'm, I'm not sure about that. It was a kind of Corvette-looking car. What is the deal with all of these um advanced vehicles not being able to detect flashing lights like that just has never been a problem for me we've seen a severe problem i mean this is not something we've seen often in cruise but it's something we've seen often with tesla running into the back of vehicles that have flashing lights or engage in emergency response like now we've got a cruise vehicle that's not recognizing a fire truck i mean those are some of the easiest things to see as a human when you're driving a car where are the computers going wrong i'm not sure because i'm not programming these things but i but if you think of this for a moment there's a <clears throat> street light in the distance and you're driving along the road and there are guardrails so you're viewing the street light through the guardrails and it's actually a flashing light as far as your eyes are concerned but your brain says well no that's not a flashing light it's just a a distant light that I'm looking at through the guardrails, right? So you can see circumstances where there would be a lot of flashing lights organically just because, you know, uh, of that, of cars moving in and out of lanes so that their rear lights appear to be flashing to you, but you, being a human being, know that it's that flashing light is actually a steady light that's attached to a car that's moving against the background. These are the sorts of things that are very hard to differentiate by a computer because, it, well, it doesn't have a brain. So, <laughs> you know, our, our brains are remarkable things. And 
the idea that you can replace our brains by some flashing uh, electronics has been aspirational ever since about, well, forever. And they're still moving in that direction, but there's a long way to go. I want to see a remake of The Wizard of the o- of Oz now with If I Only Had a Brain starring a GM Cruise. Uh, <laughs> so, Another opportunity for product placement. There you go. So the the flashing light problem, I get what you're saying, but the, the, the difference is that emergency vehicles, their flashing lights are at a regular frequency. They're not infrequent, whereas you're driving down the road and there's something blocking your vision that gives it a an effect of of a flashing light that rate of of flashing quote unquote is not consistent it's going to vary with the speed you're driving it's going to vary with distance it's going to vary with some various angles of things whereas a flashing emergency vehicle light especially when you're you know you're geofenced to a city um where your speed limit is restricted like uh, just default oh flashing light let's slow down let's go ahead and figure out what the deal is instead of I bet I can beat it. Oh, there you go again, using your brain. I know. Uh, Take that, Scarecrow. It's just got to be a really difficult thing for the 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 car to figure out. If well, if it were easy, they probably would have figured it out by now. But it's it's just it's got to be difficult. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I think the answer is a technology that we already have that could have been implemented here, which is, you know, vehicle to vehicle and vehicle and infrastructure communications. You know where your city's fire trucks are and it can tell other vehicles um, where those fire trucks are. Then those vehicles will know when to stop. They won't have to rely on detecting flashing lights. They won't have to rely on an external microphone. They will know because they're communicating with the city's uh, emergency services and know exactly where those emergency vehicles are and be able to avoid them. So this isn't something that takes, you know, 30 years of testing and, you know, a driverless vehicle to accomplish. This is technology that we think can be rolled out in vehicles right now. But wouldn't that require, excuse me, wouldn't that require the FCC to reserve some bandwidth for emergency vehicle use? And that bandwidth is very valuable. So uh, how how would you get Congress to act on reserving the bandwidth? That could never happen, could it? I think you could have stopped that sentence at act. And <laughs> it's a, just just getting that to happen is is, is difficult in this circumstance, uh, and especially in vehicle safety, where we rarely see anything get through except for every four years in a massive infrastructure package. Um, but the FCC, you know, GM and Toyota and some other companies were behind and already starting to install vehicle-to-vehicle communications in their vehicles years ago when they were testing a wireless-based system. And then big phones stepped in and said, no, we want you to use 5G, which obviously has not been rolled out across all all of the country, especially rural places. And the FCC, you know, as they tend to do when when the big communications companies are involved, went right along with it and, you know, functionally canceled the the program that that had been worked on for about a decade to try to protect people in circumstances like this. I mean, this is a technology that could stop, you know, 
your car could be talking to another car. It doesn't have to be an emergency vehicle as you're approaching the intersection. And one of the vehicles, no, they're not going to allow a collision, even if they don't, even if the drivers don't detect each other. That's the kind of technology we're talking about. And it, it's basically been pushed back, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 years because the FCC, <clears throat> for whatever reason, is involved in a vehicle safety issue. So one of the articles that we're going to link to in the uh, podcast notes, uh, and I apologize, gentlemen, I don't think I sent it around to you two. There's one in Forbes that I found, and it has this blurb in it. There are, all, there are also multiple systems that have been tested over the years to provide electronic warning for the approach of emergency vehicles. And in fact, most new fire trucks sold or equipped with such a system, and several brands of cars receive the signals. Uh, it, it's kind of a, a one-off paragraph where it mentions this, but okay, what cars receive these signals? This is what we were just talking about. I didn't think any cars have this built in or do they? I don't know. They could, they certainly could. I mean, it's not, it's not new. That signaling technology has been around for quite some time where the, the, you know, the fire trucks and the ambulances can signal uh, to the light ahead of them, the traffic light, turn it green for them and right. red for the other cars. I think it's the same technology and they're just using other vehicles to pick up that signal so that the vehicles around know that emergency vehicles approaching it makes a ton of sense um i don't know if it's a, a really expensive feature at the moment that's only in luxury vehicles or not but it's something that ultimately is going to be a a, a big part of vehicle to vehicle communications i mean you're not just talking about you know emergency responses of that type you're talking about you know probably saving lives of people in cars when there are police chases and other circumstances and you know just generally outside of the emergency context just when my car knows that your car is approaching that solves a ton of issues um, where humans don't pick up on cues or, or don't particularly at intersections where vehicles have bad sight lines and you're you're not really aware of a collision or potential collision until the last second but those systems could really come in handy to prevent a lot of t-bone crashes and that type of thing i haven't read the article but i do know that georgia had been aggressively implementing this vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication and, and vehicle-to-infrastructure, which is called V2X. Um, and Toyota was putting this technology into some of their vehicles. And what happened was the FCC, um, in response to the interest of the, uh, uh, the Wi-Fi community, refused to license the... Um, up the use of this bandwidth that had been reserved by Congress for this traffic safety purposes. FCC refused to license these, and then they used as the rationale for giving up that frequency that had been reserved, the fact that it was underused. Well, the reason it was underused is because they refused to license things. So this is a, a, a perfect example of Catch-22 in modern government. And Catch-22, for those of you who are too young to remember that, was a famous book by Joseph Heller addressing uh, Baseball. bombers in World War oh. II. Was it Heller or did it get that wrong? No, you got that Heller right. came into my, that, that's what I believe, that's what yes. I believe it was. Catch-22 is basically when you're caught between the frying pan and the fire. Oh, 
Uh, so, Michael, what you're just talking about of the the traffic lights changing because of emergency vehicles approaching. I might have mentioned this on, on on an older episode, but that's actually a very simple light sensor that in the small town where I grew up, um, we would play games and realize if you just flash your high beams rapidly, you change the traffic light signal on it. And this is back in, let's say, the early 90s. So this is not complex technology. It is just a little photovoltaic cell that says, hey, if I get flashing strobing lights hitting me at a certain frequency, I know there's an emergency vehicle or teenagers who are impatient and I'll change the light. So, uh, yeah, there's no excuse for these things not to be in place. There's no excuse for one of these robo taxis to not say, hey, I have flashing lights. Am I at a discotheque or uh, did I suddenly get on the dance floor or uh, it, hey, it's an emergency vehicle. Maybe I should slow down. But hey, what do we know? We're just victims out in the test track of this uh, simulated reality. But our good friend Kyle, he's got a good quote for this week. Kyle Vote, uh, former Dungeons and Dragons master, probably, and uh, now CEO of a self-driving car company, says it's a huge milestone for the AV industry referring to the California Public Utility Commissions and his former employee voting to approve this. But even more importantly, a signal to the country that California prioritizes progress over our tragic status quo. He uh, um, he doesn't qualify if his tragic status quo means his car's driving into cement um, and ignoring the police and fire department. So, Kyle, well, to his on. credit, To his credit, the car that was sitting there with its hubcaps in cement... <laughs> Uh, was not distracted, was not drunk, uh, was alert. It, it had all those good features. <laughs> Excellent point. It wasn't texting while driving that we're aware of. But Kyle from Cruise, feel free to come on and share details. What are we and, you know, those silly citizens of San Francisco getting wrong about your your interesting product? Hey, let's move on to another silly company. Tesla. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. So we've talked about this a number of times with uh, Tesla's uh, criminal case about. Um, so this is a uh, I'll start off uh, a criminal prosecution against a Tesla driver in Los Angeles County could end next month. The final step of a case believed to the first time in the U.S. prosecutors uh, that first time that U.S. prosecutors brought felony charges against a motorist who is using a partially automated driving system. Now, we've mentioned this case before. This is a 2019 crash in Los Angeles where the car went speeding through a stop sign or is it an intersection. Am I right? Anyone? It, uh, yeah, it came off of a freeway and ran a red freeway. light. Uh, so, uh, Tesla, um, you know, I, it I think... Killed, it killed two people. And right. basically what happened was the the court... You know, found the guy guilty, but sentenced him to probation. And you're sitting here with, you know, Tesla on one hand, who enabled this entire thing, who who put out a product that they call full self-driving, call autopilot when it's nothing like that. It's not an autonomous vehicle. It requires humans to keep control and keep uh, keep attention at all times. And this guy apparently had it on on the freeway and left off an exit still in autopilot, full self-drive, whatever system it was at the time, and went through a red light, killed two people. And 
he gets probation. Tesla gets nothing. Um, and this is what Tesla wants, really. This is the system they would love to see. They're sitting there scot-free. They don't face any criminal prosecution for allowing and abetting this whole thing. The driver just gets probation for making a decision to be lazy and not drive the car properly and pay proper attention. Is just letting whatever tesla puts out on the road drive for him which is you know it's it's been made despite the marketing tesla's also when you get in the car they say hey you gotta you gotta pay full attention i think everyone who gets in a tesla and wants to use one of these features needs to realize that they have to stay focused and and mm -hmm. they're driving that you can't just take off this is not an autonomous vehicle um, i want to be clear that the, the the car never says you need to pay attention if you want to know why Tesla wants you to pay attention, you've got to dive into the fine print on your uh, usage agreements. Isn't that right? There's no I think verbal. That, I, I believe that when you, I believe that when you engage those features, there's something that flashes on the screen that says you, basically you need to keep paying attention. Um, but it's a trap. Essentially, you're you're selling a car with all of this tech saying, oh, it's got autopilot. It's got full self-driving. And then when somebody gets in the car, you flash a momentary warning. It says, you really need to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Who's so, I mean, we've all clicked through things like that, just ignoring it. It's a trap. It's a complete trap. And, uh, you know, it's it, it trapped this guy. And but the, the, the fact is, he's killed two people because of his actions, whether they were enabled by Tesla or not. And he's getting off with probation. And, you know, that's the literally the perfect scenario for for Tesla and for people who aren't, you know, don't want to drive their own vehicles appropriately. And it's the absolute worst possible solution for the victims in this case. The family members are, you know, have lost they've lost two family members and, you know, there's probably a lawsuit ongoing. Um, Tesla's going to defend it and say, you know, it's all this guy's fault. And they'll probably get off scot-free doing that. And meanwhile, there's a paper judgment against whoever the guy driving the vehicle was. They're not ever going to get anything out of him. So the victim's families are, you know, in this case, functionally left with nothing. That's a terrible outcome. Um, you know, somebody needs to be either in jail or paying a lot of money when they you know, this is reckless behavior. It's it's almost beyond negligent. People should know that Teslas can't drive themselves at this point. It's been all over the news for years now. And, you know, it's there there are no more excuses. So we're we we're disappointed in the outcome of this case. We've, you know, been somewhat disappointed in the outcomes of some of the civil cases that have been brought by against Tesla so far. Um, there are more coming in the next couple of months that I'm sure we'll discuss as verdicts are reached. Um, so this is going to remain a pretty hot topic. So the spouse of one of the victims in this, um, they're not blaming so much the driver. Instead, they have a quote from this uh, AP News article we're linking to says they make cars that they know cause accidents and they don't care. Families are broken. Lives are lost and they don't care. Um I think, you know, that's, that person should be hired to do marketing for Tesla. I think that's a great new slogan. We're Tesla. Give us 15 grand. We don't care. But, but seriously, so they sell products that are called autopilot and full self driving. And that's one thing like, well, you know, these are just marketing terms, but 
Boys and girls, remember, they produced that self-driving car video where the car did all these amazing things. It drove itself around the block and parked and did all these wonderful things. And uh, we found out just a few months ago that that whole video was faked, that the yeah. real footage shows that car crashing into a dumpster. <laughs> like, I mean, this is insane. I, I don't know. Hey, Federal Trade Commission. Hi. Hi, from the public. Hi, unfair <laughs> like, deceptive trade like, practices. Like Hi. this is like a slam dunk. I mean, uh, anyway, continuing on with our lovely friends of Tesla, uh, U.S. auto safety regulators have sent a team to investigate a fatal crash in Virginia involving a Tesla suspected of running on a partially automated driving system. Uh, the latest crash happened in July, brings the number to 35 of Tesla crashes under investigation by NHTSA since June of 2016. In all the cases, the agency suspects the Teslas were operating on a partially automated driving system such as autopilot. At least 17 people have died. So, Michael, in these articles, I have to ask, why do they call things like autopilot and full self-driving partially automated driving systems because this elon guy keeps saying hey these cars are driving themselves they can do it all themselves <laughs> well it's because they're correct i mean this this is a partial automation it means that you know one or more features or functions of the vehicle have been automated um that's that goes for things like automatic emergency braking that's in a lot of our cars you know that is an automated feature partial automation includes that but there is what also what we call a highly automated vehicle and that's a vehicle where you don't have to pay attention you know the teslas and anything from a tesla through some of these mercedes that are level level three supposedly driving around in nevada those are partially automated because the driver their their conditional automation is another phrase for it because as the driver you have a responsibility to pay attention and be able to take over whenever requested by the vehicle or even if the vehicle doesn't request it you should be paying attention and be able to hit your brakes and steer in time You're, you shouldn't be relying on the vehicle to direct you how to drive in those cars it is something where you you have to stay focused so that's what a partial automation is. It's it it could be a lot of things. It could be you know something as simple as um, a lane keeping assist or automatic emergency braking that we see and are relatively common. Or it could be a vehicle that can almost drive itself fully, but not quite, and requires the human to maintain some sort of control and attention while operating the vehicle. So that's partial automation. So the level three driving you're talking about that's happening in Nevada. So that means I can basically punch in a destination. The car will take me there. I don't have to have my hands on the wheel. I don't have to have my feet on the pedals, um, but I have to be paying attention. And the main company behind this is Mercedes. No, I think they the, have a license. No, I think they've only been approved so far for operation. Basically, it looked it appears that operation on divided highways or or, or interstates when there's a speed under 40 miles right. per hour. So it's basically in traffic. So <laughs> you're not programming it and going from place to place at all yet. You okay. know, this is basically 
level three that allows the vehicle to take some of the work away from the driver when you're sitting in a horrible traffic jam on the interstate. Um, it's, it, you know, some vehicles already have similar capabilities with adaptive cruise control that can be used that way. I think you've used it that way before, Anthony. I, I have, and my wife did not enjoy that at all in um, when it's bumper to bumper traffic. When we're at highway speeds, she doesn't notice. Um, because she can fall asleep in the car smooth, but ladies and gentlemen, my hands are on the wheel. I'm providing some torque. I'm not hanging a weight off the steering wheel and I'm looking around because I don't trust any other driver on the road. And that's the proper way to drive. You want to be safe? Don't trust anybody else on the road. They're all out to get you. And with that, have you told you your friends to subscribe to this podcast? Have you subscribed to this podcast? Have you gone to autosafety.org and donated? You have? Ah, you're the, you're the greatest. I mean, this is amazing. This is what keeps Michael and Fred going. Me, it's coffee. Um, <laughs> with that, let's, uh, I think we've, we've, uh, hit enough of this, uh, self-driving nonsense this week. There'll always be more and more self-driving nonsense because, you know, that's, that's unfortunately hey, hey, the Anthony. future. Yeah. Teslas are going to be robo taxis next year. Did uh, you know that? I just heard that. I heard that too. Yeah, I heard the uh, the cyber cuck. Uh, sorry, cyber truck was uh, bulletproof too. Um, I don't think it is. Um, hey, so the AAA Foundation did a safety did a study on the safety benefits of ADAS. Um, you know, and I have some issues with AAA, but it's just more of uh, you know, I'm not a not a fan. I like the idea of it, but then I realized it's cheaper just to pay my insurance company to come and tow my car. Um, so, hey, they did a, they're projecting that 249,000 lives saved and 14 million injuries prevented before 2050 with ADAS. Um, and how would this work? Is this, does this study look good? I mean, it sounds great. I mean, I, I, well, what I, is, I first, you need to <laughs> let the listeners know what ADAS is. ADAS stands for automated driver assistance system okay so anything that you've got that augments your capabilities as a driver who is in fully in control of the vehicle that provides automated assistance that's called an ADAS system so it's very distinct from an attempt to make a car completely self-driving yeah it's just, and it's, it's just advanced there. driver assistance systems not automated so that makes oh, it thank even you, pardon. That makes it even less automated sounding. See, I couldn't remember what it stood for. That's why I just kept saying ADAS. Um, but wait, so it does ADAS, what does this consist of? ADAS I means automatic. a lot of, it's a lot of things. I mean, right. ADAS covers basically everything from um, blind spot warnings to, you know, the level three type stuff. We're talking about Mercedes or the cars basically functionally controlling itself for certain periods, but still needs human to uh oversee the process so things like okay so you're saying like uh lane change warnings like the blind spot monitoring yeah so my car has little icons for that built in but i guess we didn't pay for that so they never turn on um automatic emergency braking that's part of this right okay what are other and, things and that be in that well, it, it, another thing that would be in there that I think, you know, the 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 figures that that they they I mean there are a lot of assumptions that are required. 
Sure. In a study like this, you have to make a lot of assumptions about how fast technology is going to be developed, implemented, accepted by consumers. And so, you know, that's a pretty, the 249,000 lives saved, and I think it was something like 14 million injuries prevented, which is an enor- enormous number, would be excellent. Um, they also provided, you know, if there's a greater rate of uptake, even higher numbers, even better numbers, or in the case of lower uptake, the lower numbers. But Their median number is about 10,000 lives saved per year, which is, you know, I I think is a relatively conservative number when you consider that, you know, driver monitoring systems, if they're implemented, you know, say 10 years from now and prevent drunk driving, distracted driving, medical situations, all the things that they can do. I mean, I think those numbers could go could go even higher. So, um it's it's a it's a really difficult and a really complex study to just to be able there's there's a lot of factors that need to be taken and and I think they did a pretty good job you know I think I think that's you know those those are the type of numbers that I that I think we might expect given the fact that you know industry isn't just you know falling over themselves to get the newest and best of this technology in cars. Um, and are having to be nudged uh, by NHTSA and by, you know, the public to get this into a lot of their base models that are lacking it right now. I, to put that in perspective, you're talking 10,000 lives saved per year, and that's 25% roughly of all um, fatalities that happen right now. That So that would be right. an amazing, amazing change. I mean, I don't think there's anything else that anyone's proposing that has anywhere near that life-saving ability. Well, besides Kyle, oh, that's an incredible number. And, you know, you know, we have we as an organization have advocated for a enhanced focus on ADAS components and capabilities within the cars, rather than this Panglossian vision of a self-driving future that is going to make everything better. Because that self-driving future um, probably will never happen. Whereas the ADAS features that can be put into vehicles can happen tomorrow. Right. You know, well, let's, let's start saving lives today rather than thinking about this distant future that, you know, may never happen. When the unicorns dance, we'll have self-driving vehicles that are safer than human beings. Okay. That's fine. But I haven't seen a lot of unicorns in my neighborhood. Yeah, and I would have to say that you know I think a combination of ADAS and driver good driver monitoring features, as well as vehicle to vehicle and vehicle to infrastructure communications, could drastically reduce the the fatality and injury count on our roads. And I think far more than this whole self driving proposition ever ever will. Now, commercial aircraft, for example, have a collision warning system, right? And and they alert the pilot to take over and avoid a collision. They have terrain avoidance systems that monitor the where the aircraft is, what the local elevation is, and they warn the pilot if they're about to crash into something. Why is this doable in aircraft and it's not doable in cars? Wouldn't that be a, a wonderful system? Isn't that a better way to enhanced safety than, you know, having your self-driving vehicle get stuck in concrete. I just don't get it. You don't get the flow of tech bro nonsense. I'm going to jump into a little rant, okay, on tech bro nonsense. Back in like the early 2000s, there was this stupid project called One Laptop Per Child, which sounds great. 
hey, we're going to send one laptop per child in sub-Saharan Africa because this will make their lives better. And my thought was, how? And people would tell me, oh, well, how, how do you use the internet? I'm like, for Amazon and pornography? Like, how is that going to make a kid's life better? How about we send them potable water? And they're like, well, no. So tech bro nonsense doesn't really go for the simplest solution that will do the greatest good. Instead, they go, hey, here's something shiny and flashy, and I bet I can get a bunch of money from suckers who have too much money and not enough brains. End of rant to quote Mr. Fred Well, thank Perkins. you. That puts it all into perspective for me. <laughs> there you go. And my life into perspective. Hey, let's speaking of Fred Perkins, let's go into today's Tao. And this subject is I have a tangential relationship to this story. Today, we're going to do spare tires. And I had to fill the air in my tires recently because, uh, you know, the tire pressure warning light went on. And I was like, well, okay, they were they were 10 PSI off of what they should be. And I look inside the door jam, it tells me the correct one. But the spare tire should be at like 60 PSI, whereas my normal tire should be at 35. Weird. But that's probably not what you're going to talk about. Anyway, Fred, take it away. You've now entered the Tao of Fred. Ending my pause for the intro. <laughs> oh, um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. So uh, spare tires, uh, Michael, question for you. Do you have a spare tire for your car? I do not. I was sold a 2019 Volkswagen Jetta, brought it home, and looked under the flap in the trunk where the spare tire would be, and there was a gap in a in a uh, can of Fix-A-Flat. Oh. <laughs> so, oh. And, and, and I think my tire would have ended up costing me like an extra $300, $400 to get an actual spare. What? So, so it's interesting. So uh, second question, if you tear your sidewall of your car <laughs> when you're in a dark spot, are you stuck by the side of the road or are you up the creek without a paddle? Well, in my case, I'm driving on three three tires. I don't care. I'm getting out of it. <laughs> but most folks might not would be willing to damage their wheels and rims that way. And they might, you know, stay there and have to wait another hour or two for emergency services. Please do not construe Michael's answer as advice from the Center for Auto Safety. This is his personal opinion and his bad <laughs> lifestyle choices. If you have the broken sidewall, do not try to drive on three tires. So the question, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask is, do you really need a spare tire? And, and Michael's here, he's still alive, so I perhaps not. But, uh, you know, please don't call me a conservative, but I made my daughters learn how to change a flat tire before I turned them loose with the driver's licenses. I thought it was very important for them to be able to secure their own safety in the event of a equipment failure. Uh, I guess that's old-fashioned, I'm not sure. One of the rationales people are now offering for why so many electric vehicles and uh, partially electric vehicles, hybrid vehicles, have part of the rationale for not including a spare tire is there uh, is a possibility of battery intrusion into the battery, or excuse me, spare tire intrusion. What I, I need more coffee. Wow. There's a possibility of spare tire intrusion into the battery containment case in the event of a collision. I guess that's a possibility, but it that's seems a like a sign. I mean, isn't that's that bad stupid? Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I have a hard time seeing how that's going to work. Tires and cars has everything to do with the fuel economy standards and removing weight from vehicles. And that's when manufacturers started removing them from cars. Wait, yeah. really? 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's all about weight. Wait, but the spare tire weighs like nothing. It weighs what does it weigh? A couple oh, pounds? 30, 40 pounds, depending on what kind of car you have. But oh, oh, I have a tiny car. Tires so. are heavy. Yeah. But uh it's that's when they started disappearing. It was when that's upgraded fuel economy standards. I think it was the two two uh revisions ago on those, but uh it's it's you know 40 pounds is a lot in a vehicle if they can remove that by you know taking away a spare tire they're saving money in the process as well so it's a win-win for the manufacturer and a lose-lose for anyone stranded on the side of the road huh and i guess there's no regulation that says they need to have a spare tire no, no. Clearly. um one of the issues that's come up is the size of the wheels in the cars and the uh People seem to like wagon wheels in their vehicles. They really like enormous tires. And some of the tires are so big that a full-size spear will not fit in the trunk. And, and I think that's legitimate. But there are there are options. There are donut spares, which are like Anthony's got and I've got. They're relatively high-pressure tires that are smaller than a normal tire. But that can be put onto the, the same hub. There are also something called... Um, collapsible tires or expandable tires that basically blow up like a balloon when you want to put them in uh, and then collapse into a smaller package when you deflate them so you can put them back into the trunk and those seem like they've got a lot of uh, merit actually the problem is you need to have something to inflate them when you need them so you're going to have either an air compressor in the car or you're going to have sufficient uh compressed air in a can good to fill lungs. them up but uh, good long really yeah, really know, good I lungs wanna, yeah. i want to say and i'd have to check but i think that alongside the can of fix a flat there was some sort of little mini air compressor that i would plug into my cigarette lighter but i can't be 100 percent. wait sure. how does your car you said it's a 2019 it doesn't have a yep. cigarette lighter no, it does. It oh does. my they, god, those European still, cars! They still make vehicles with cigarette lighters. I, I didn't even know that until a few weeks ago when I looked down and noticed it for the first time. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but so the large wheels can be a problem just because of their size. But you know who really needs large wheels? Uh, monster trucks need them, and military vehicles. But they are not needed for your weekly trip to Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> Trust me on that. You can you can use normal tires. So if you're going to buy a trim package that includes larger tires, uh, you may be wasting your money. But still, back when I was young and wagon wheels were still popular and vehicles on the roadway, there was a rationale for them because they could run over gophers more easily than small wheels. But I don't think that's there anymore um aren't they just there for looks now mostly i, I mean yeah i, see I think a lot so of small sedans with big tires that are you know clearly trying to show off their rims we were behind one the other day and it was clear like they had extended the axle or something like that to fit these giant wheels on like a honda civic type thing and we're like what why what what happened in your youth that that you caused you to make this decision like well, there's some yeah there are some cultural subtrends that uh seem to like customizing cars that don't really deserve it but you've seen that anyway true um for our listeners though a little quiz for our listeners and the first question is what is the proper pressure air pressure for your spare tire 
And you may not know that, but if you don't know it, it's because you haven't checked your tire recently. So the second question, what is the current air pressure in your spare tire? Um, oh. is something you, you probably ought to address. It's a pain in the neck, but it's worth digging it out, making sure that you've got enough air in your tire so that it, it can, in fact, save your life if you're ever in a situation where you need to change the spare tire. Okay. So this is um, a, this is my dumb question. Um, so generally the tire pressure warning light only comes on, um, towards winter where obviously I get, you know, gas expands, gas contracts winter gas inside my tires the air is contracted a little bit um but we're just out and you know it's august and tire pressure warning light comes on and so i get nervous and i'm feeling all the tires they all feel fine because i can't tell the difference in 10 psi by squeezing a tire i know i don't work at the circus anymore um but where is where is that that loss of pressure going is is there some sort of slow leaks in every tire is this why that happened? Well, now you're getting into the second law of thermodynamics. Oh, oh no. Which is, uh, the, well, the first law of thermodynamics is that um, Wash your you hands. don't get something for nothing. Oh. And the second law basically says you can't even break even. And what that means <laughs> is that everything is going to leak, right? And and you can never get back to where you were in the first place. So what you're really looking at is is the fact that the air pressure inside your tire sooner or later is going to leak. And there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a valve, there are leaky joints, the, you know, the, a lot of mechanical issues associated with that. But the fact is that sooner or later, every tire is going to get flat. So even my, sorry, even my donut spare that I've never even touched. Even your donut spare, sadly oh, enough. I yes, indeed. Check that. Damn it. That's but but again, you know, you're you're talking about your contention with the basic physical laws of the universe. So if you lose, don't worry. You're in good company. Everybody well, loses I mean, on that. Look, we we've come to learn in the last few years those laws are, you know, your laws and my laws may not be the same. Okay. That's true. <laughs> That's true. You could probably spend a little more money and get a vehicle that has a spare tire, tire pressure monitor. There are a very select few vehicles that do that, but it's generally only if you have a full size spare, but they will keep track of the inflation pressure of your spare while it's not even installed, which is a great option if you can afford it. It is a great option. But it costs about three dollars to buy a tire pressure gauge at your local <laughs> auto parts store. So that's another way to go. Listener, I I'm gonna suggest you vote with Michael on this one and donate to the Center for Auto Safety so we can afford spare pr- tire pressure monitoring systems as opposed to Fred and his three dollar solution. Okay? I'm sure we'll take three dollars as long as you give it monthly. Sorry. Now, there's another another aspect of this. Uh, there's a canard that modern tires don't fail, so you don't really need to to do anything. There are self-sealing tires. There are run-flat tires. Uh, those are all true. The run-flat tires are a lot heavier and a lot more expensive than the regular tires because just simply because there's more stuff in them, and uh, they also have a limited life associated with them when they're flat. So something to consider if you're going to invest in the run-flat tires. Um, and the other thing is that modern tires do, in fact, fail. Not as often as when I was a child and blowouts were something that were constantly on your mind as you were going down the road. But uh, 
they do fail. They do fail spontaneously, and they do fail when you run over a curb or, a, you know, a sharp object. So remember, the tire is the only thing that is giving you control of your vehicle, both forward and, forward and backward and from side to side. You know, you really need to pay attention to your tires. And when one of your tires fails, you need to pay attention to your spares because, once again, you're putting your life on your line if you have substandard tires. So, so don't do that. So what do you suggest? There's a, Sorry, well, there's you, a related issue. Before we get off of that, sure. let, me, let me just say that there's another issue with the highly automated vehicles we were talking about earlier today, which is that there are some vehicles that are being promoted right now, Zooks is a leading candidate, that do not have uh, any human interface controls. They don't have steering wheels. They don't have brake pedals. They don't have any of the things that you need to control the vehicle. And really, you're taking all the issues associated with the safety of a car that is uh, does not have a spare tire, and you're elevating that to a situation where you can't even pull the car over to the side of the road if you have a flat tire. So I, I you know, I, I, my feeling is that the manufacturers need to address that issue of what the highly automated vehicles are going to do if there's a mechanical problem that people need to address in order to either just get the car to the curb or, you know, do other, some of the maneuver that's required to enhance their own safety. But uh, we, you know, we've been on record by saying that all of these cars, all of these vehicles that are intended for use by people with unattended uh, automatic control systems need to have a readily accessible human interface set of controls so that somebody in an emergency can take over and get the car into a safe place. That um, has not been addressed by any kind of regulations. It's not been addressed by the manufacturers because there are no regulations to do that. But we still think it's a it's an idea that's important, something that should be done, and something that the manufacturers should not be allowed to skip over. Now, Anthony, I'm sorry, what was your question? I don't remember what my original question is, but now I have a new question. So I'm in my GM cruise, and it's taking me cross town, and the tire blows out. What does the car do? Is it just put on the low tire pressure warning? Because well, I charge into wet cement. It charges into <laughs> wet cement so that it'll stop. It's a safety feature they built in. It's kind of like the runaway truck ramps that you see on certain highways. It doesn't go into the to the Michael Brooks mode of just be like three tires. We can do it. Yeah, I mean, I can teach them. All you need is a few high school friends to sit on the hood, and you're good. <laughs> that was also the name of his country album that came out in 1995. Three yeah. friends sitting on the hood, then you're good. It uh, yeah, it did. I had a chart. song about my dog too. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. With that, ladies and gentlemen, if you have questions about spare tires or anything else, send an email to contact at autosafety.org. That's contact with a C, not with a K. Let's do some recalls. Kia, Kia, Kia. What is going on with Kia this week? Okay. Kia airbag warning labels may detach. Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standard 208. Ooh. A detached airbag warning label will not warn occupants about the risk of airbag deployment. Wait, the people, it's, huh? There's a sticker on, I've never seen this, like all throughout my car embossed through it says airbag SRS. Airbag, is there the Kias? They just have a sticker? Look under your, uh, uh, usually it's under your sun visor. Okay. 
and it's basically it's a sticker that i don't know how many people actually read it or if it really impacts anyone um i I, i've (laughs) I've, we've we've always not really liked it because on the stickers it says the safest place for a child is in the back seat and in many circumstances that's simply not correct those stickers came out when there were overpowered airbags in front seats there weren't sensors in front seats to prevent airbags from being deployed into children and NHTSA's basically at that point said okay well we'll just put kids in the back seat which as we know does not have any or, or even close to the number of crashworthiness protections and tests and everything associated with it and we've seen safety in the back seat kind of get ignored we've also seen seat collapses you know and something we worked on diligently over the years to try to get a federal standard that's going to protect children in rear seats who are who are being collided with by people in front seats when the seat collapses we've seen you know hundreds of deaths and and many more injuries from that issue and so you know we even petitioned the government to get new language because frankly we don't believe that the back seat is always the safest place for children so um there's some significant issues there that that the the label doesn't really take into account i think they may to be need to be modern well, excuse me they may need to be modernized and in kia's case kia's case they just need some you know better glue or something because their problem isn't they forgot to put the labels in the cars in the first place but they just didn't stick them to the sun visor well enough oh they're using the uh george costanza glue huh <clears throat> Uh, moving on, we've got uh, one from Nissan of North America. Tie rod may bend. Oh, this is a scary one. A bent tie rod can break and cause loss of steering control, increasing the risk of crash. Potentially 236,000 plus vehicles. Uh, Nissans are calling certain 2020 to 2022 Sentras. Uh, the left and or right tie rod may bend. Um, now, I'm not a metallurgist or really know anything about metal. Uh, tie rods are generally thick pieces of steel, right? Or aluminum, something. Tie rods are generally threaded pieces of steel that attach the ultimately steering wheel to the wheel itself, so that when you turn the steering wheel, there's some kind of mechanism that pushes on the tie rod or pulls on the tie rod, and that causes the front wheel to move left or right. Okay. So that's what the tie rod does. So it also has a bushing at the end, and it has a metal part that sticks through the bushing. So that connects to the wheel itself, and then you thread it onto the attachment to the steering mechanism so that you can adjust, basically do the front end alignment, right? So you got to make sure that that the wheels are pointed where they're supposed to be, and that's how they do it. They adjust the tie rod length so that they've got the wheels aligned. So it's it's a more complex thing than just a plain piece of steel. Sure, but uh, it, it's like the tie rod is not something that, it's a pretty standard piece of equipment. It's not something they're re-engineering constantly. It's not like an F1 uh, car. No, you're right. Yeah, they've, okay. only, they've only been in cars for about 100 years, so still a lot to learn, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, so that's the scary part for me. So uh, for listeners, this recall replaces and expands a previous recall. Uh, if your vehicle was repaired under that previous one, you have to have the new one uh, done to you, but uh, they won't know 
what the remedy is because they don't have parts for this. Expect interim letters to be mailed on October fifth. Uh, yeah, but this then, one was a, yeah, this one had a. Um, it looks like this one starts when your vehicle hits a pothole or a curb or something, and it bends the tie rod, which basically prevents your steering from operating correctly. And what they're going to do is tell everyone to come in and they're going to inspect the vehicles and put in kind of a uh, interim tie rod. And then they're going to have everyone come back in the winter for the full repair. Once they get the new part ready to go. Yeah. Surprising. Uh, Cause again, Nissan's been around for a couple hours. They should have this problem solved. Uh, the last one we'll do today is Ford Mustang. The electric Mustang is uh, having loss of power due to overheating electrics. Uh, Ford issued a safety recall on 48,000, almost 49,000 model year 2021 to 2022 Mach E's. Uh, this recall addressed high voltage battery main connectors, contactors that may overheat from direct current during fast charging uh, and repeated wide open pedal events. Ooh, wide open pedal event. I don't know what that is, but it sounds fun. Uh, so uh come in and find out if Ford has recently fixed this. It's a there's a technical service bulletin associated with that. And if you don't know what a technical service bulletin is, you haven't been to autosafety.org and looked up your make, model, and year. Uh basically there are hidden little notes that the manufacturers give to their dealers, be like, hey, here's some things we broke. We don't have to tell anybody yet. Keep it on the DL if somebody comes in, then fix yeah. it. And I got that case, right. Good. In this case, yeah, it's a lot like that because this is a really odd one. You know, they they issued this recall and said, okay, we're going to do this recall remedy. But if you continue to have problems after the recall, we're going to do this TSB on your vehicle as well, which to me suggests that that procedure should have been part of the original recall. Um, and that Ford is trying to skirt the recall regulations here, the TSB, something that's probably not outside the realm of their capabilities. Um, as we've seen in the past. So it's it's a little shady. I, I think, you know, if you have a recall fix and then you put a TSB out that addresses the problems with the recall fix, why isn't that technical service bulletin also a recall? It's clearly a safety issue. Come on, Ford. <laughs> Come on, Ford. Hey, with that, listeners, that's our show. Uh, next week, we've got a lot of fun, exciting updates, such as the Massachusetts right to repair. Um, we've got some more recalls, like the Nicole, Nikolai semi trucks. Um, Nicola, uh, we've got, Nicola. yeah, Nicola, it's Nic like Rickola. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, some pedestrian safety updates. Uh, whatever else GM Cruise manages to crash into. Um, some 40 cents or stuff. And this is, you know, one of the rare things. Well, I, I can tell you the future of what we'll talk about next week. Fred? Quick, quick, uh, quick question for you, Anthony. Sure. Where did the name Nicola come from? Uh, it was a, uh, a Swiss cough drop company. Um, and, they originally uh, Michael, called Nicola <laughs> and, uh, they, uh, you Michael, know, look, Michael, you don't even let me turn. answer. Isn't that Tesla's first name? Yes. Oh, it's Elon. Elon Tesla. God, guys are so dumb. Yeah, he could could be revisionist history. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah he, Nikola Tesla. So it's an interesting competition between the two companies and the two names. Uh, I'm waiting for one of them to electrocute an elephant. Ah, hey, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Um, again, like, subscribe, tell all your friends, donate, and uh, till next time. Bye bye. Bye bye.
Hi, everyone. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.